Okay, we're recording live. Okay. Hi. Like Joe Rogan. Just like I think Joe Rogan actually he said it before like recording live because he was actually live. So like people were actually watching him speak to the guests live. But I think I just I don't know where I picked this up. I it actually might be Joe Rogan. But um I just kind of said recording live and it just kind of stuck with me ever since from from episode one guy to listen to yeah he's he do you listen to him often um yeah i guess so last year or so i picked up the habit yeah yeah i actually haven't listened to him in a while but he's great i think he's um he's done a massive deal with spotify recently so i think he's kind of moving on from youtube and kind of uh transferring all of his content to Spotify. And I think he's like uploading the video on Spotify as well, which is, which is kind of really interesting. I think kind of, yeah, I think Spotify is kind of moving into the video areas as well. So you never know. That's like the next YouTube. Very cool to watch. Yeah. I I love his conversations. You know, he gets people from all sides and then Mm. he listens to them and tries to really understand them as Mm. opposed to so many of these conversations are like uh, and people shouting at each other or they've got very strong opinions he seems like a, just an engaged person wanting to understand somebody's point of view sure. and so I, that's why i like about him i, I think I, the world needs a bit more of that yeah he's i i really look up to his listener attitude like i really look look up to him as a listener because he's yeah. like he's never really about he does have his opinions i think but very strong opinions sometimes as well but he's also like when he he actually he act, i think he's brought guests who he kind of has different like opinions mm-hmm. from his opinions but he's he's definitely like he's always there like sitting and listening to what they have to say about their kind of point of view on things and i think it's something that i really look up to because i think it's easy to to speak but i think it's really hard to like properly listen not just like sit there and just let the words pass through but actually really tentatively look listening and trying to process what the what the other person's saying i think it's a really difficult thing that not a lot of people have a lot of you know practice in so i try to be mindful about that as well no i agree and you know you you get something out of it right Mm. i mean Often you'll see people come on and they'll have like their, their talking points, you know, but then their talking points are, are sort of engineered around this like sort of adversarial relationship with a reporter. And then when they encounter someone who's like genuinely listening, like, Oh, what did you mean by that? They're sort of disarmed. And then the real conversation begins. You get beyond the talking points and then people begin to uh, be softer with their points. Well, you know, yes, this and that. And like Joe, I like Joe because he's like so upfront about what, like, like his thing about aliens. Right. But then it was like, but I just want them to exist so bad so he acknowledges his own biases and his own uh, his own point of view on things. Yeah, for sure. I think he's also kind of uh, recently been diversifying the types of like guests he brings as well. Like obviously because he's now a bigger uh, podcast host, I think he's able to kind of bring in guests who are more in different like uh, mediums. So like I think he's recently been talking to a lot of artists and singers and. Um, 
I've been actually meaning to watch an episode that he's uh, he was talking with Post Malone, who's a rapper um, oh. slash artist. So I think it's really interesting kind of, um, what is it? Uh, kind of like a crossover where he's talked to a lot of um, kind of, you know, professionals in like engineering fields and politicians and, um, you know, kind of fields that are quite distant from like the entertainment uh, field. And now it's kind of like there's a crossover between that. And I think that's really interesting. I think he's also had like Miley Cyrus over. Um, I, I don't know if he's that one, yes. Yeah. Um, and I, I think they get into like pretty heavy uh, subjects as well, like how the media is kind of portraying celebrities in kind of in a distorted way. I think those are things that aren't really talked often enough, but I think it's really important for people to understand as well as people who are consuming, you know, entertainment. Um, so I think those are conversations that are really interesting to have and listen to as well. Yeah. Very fun. Yeah. I need to listen to podcasts more. It's kind of like, it's kind of frustrating because I've been working on like new music and new videos so much that it's kind of like becoming not even like a nine to five job, but actually like a 6 a.m. to like 10 p.m. job. So uh -huh. um, I don't think, sometimes I feel like I'm not allowing myself enough time to, you know, just absorb the world. And I think we need that, you know? Like I was no going to ask you about that because it feels to me like as an artist, there's this, com there's this like you have stuff that you just, you output, but then some of it is a reflection, right? It's mm. a response. And so I was curious as to how you balance those, you know, how much do you take in and then respond to it in your art versus just, you know, kind of sit there by yourself and like, just admit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I Create. think, I think it was, it was definitely initially a very responsive one, especially like when it comes to YouTube contents that I've been uh, putting out, it was definitely a very uh, reaction oriented. Uh, just to kind of give you an example, like I was, I started off by doing a lot of loads of cover songs and, you know, and I think there was like also this kind of cringy period where, you know, how like, people say, oh, you know, you got to play with the, with the algorithms a little bit. So you got to like search up the keywords that are hot and like you have to make content that are relevant to that. And so I think I was kind of trying to play up to that, what people were saying about like playing with, you know, kind of going in alignment with the algorithms and like what's uh -huh. hot and what's trending for a while until I realized that it's not really my thing. So I kind of part ways uh midway and decided that i'm just going to do my own thing and it's i think it's now turning into something that is very personal and i try to do stuff and i try to make stuff that that just feels right for me regardless of whether or not it's kind of playing up to the trending topics or what's hot out there um and it was it was a trial and error thing where i just kind of had to experience and learn from um by just trying that it's not really my thing to play yeah. up to those kind of things. But I do believe in, I do believe in kind of consuming culture and arts and entertainment. And I think it really does feed into the work that I put out 
in a very positive way if I let it. So, um, who are your big influences? Um, I wouldn't say they're like, I just kind of like pick up from loads of places. It's, and it's not even like, even if I'm a musician, it's not even directly musical influences. You know, I, I, I'd like to think that, you know, I'm a huge fan of anime. So I'd like to think that, you know, my love for anime is feeding into my love for music. And yeah, actually it does feed into my music, even like quite literally, because I recently put out a song called Slice of Life. And it's actually, it's actually a genre of anime where it's like, it's literally like Slice of Life. And it's, it just shows like just daily mundane, but fun kind of life of and of the characters yeah so now that you mentioned that, that that that's got me thinking you know you've got a very distinctive dancing style and i'm wondering is that influenced whether the visual style of your dancing matches or is correlated with the visual style of anime a bit huh. at that. i mean like i've never really theorized my dances because i think <laughs> i just move however i want to move exactly um, sure but you never know like anime has a lot of dances actually uh, do they? They do, I think. I mean, like, just kind of like characters dancing a lot. Um, uh-huh. I don't think... What about art? Do you get into art? Paintings? Um, I I would be lying if I said I, I, like, I know all the niche, like, paintings and, like, I would be yeah. lying. I'm not, like, I'm a, I'm a shallow art lover. <laughs> I just... And I don't even, like... And I'm not ashamed to say it. If I like what I see, I like what I see. I don't really feel too bad about like not knowing oh when it was created or like yeah, the year yeah. it was created who who even painted it or like what the what the historical context of that artwork is if i like it and i feel something from it then you know it's it's good artwork for me that's mm-hmm. at least my philosophy on art um i'm a huge fan of dolly though salvador dolly uh-huh. um i don't know there's something it's not just his artworks but also his character i think he was very well known for his very kind of quirky personality um and he kind of viewed himself as an art form rather than just kind of as an artist creating artworks he kind of viewed his whole kind of presence as a part of and also like an extension of his his work so i really admire that and you know how he kind of showed through his actions as well. I think he's in, he's notorious for. Um, I think he was notorious for kind of showing up in public with like weird costumes and like putting up oh, a show. I think was a picture of him walking an anteater. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, walking an anteater. Yeah. Oh, I gotta look that up. <laughs> I gotta look that up. Uh, I think the one I saw was like he was in like a space suit of some sort. I think there was one with like something with like crabs in it as well. But like he's he's done a lot of random things. Um, I love it, which I love. I love. Yeah. Are you much into art then? You know, well, so right, my background's physics and engineering yeah. and all that good stuff. But uh, at some point, you know what it was? Uh, I was on a business trip. In, in Amsterdam, and it's like, I got time to kill, what do I do? And it's like, oh, Van Gogh Museum. Well, I should go to the Van Gogh mm-hmm. Museum. You know, I don't know, I'm not into art, but I did get time to kill, so I did that. And so the first floor, it shows, it's by 
by era, right? So his first floor is the beginning stuff. And I looked and I was like, huh? Mm. All right. And then the second floor is like, oh, this begins interesting. By the third floor, I was just having this incredible reaction mm. um, to the art. And I didn't know really what was going on, but it was somehow really affecting me uh, in a very cool way. And you just could look at the painting and just see the madness of the man in the painting. Anyway, so from there, it kind of got, uh, you know, kind of turned on to, to art. And uh, so, yeah. I think that's, that really speaks something about the kind of development of an artist, how, you know, you said the first floor was kind of like probably the beginning era of his career as an artist and the second floor was more developed and the final is what he is probably known for today um, as Van Gogh. And I actually had a similar experience with um, having visited to a Picasso museum oh. and um, it was basically kind of showing in, in a chronological order of his work as well. And I was really surprised, you know, how Picasso is known for his kind of, I think there's a word for it as well for that art, art style where he kind of like, he has that, like he paints in like different perspectives and therefore creating. Yeah, I think so. I don't know, <laughs> but therefore kind of resulting in the weird kind of visual blocks of colors uh -huh. and shapes that's just kind of abstract that Picasso's known for. But I was really surprised when I visited, when I went to the museum and saw his kind of primitive works and in his initial uh, stage of his career, they were really like realism kind of, like yes. they were actual paintings. Like you could tell what he's painting and it, you couldn't tell that it was uh, painted by Picasso if, it wasn't labeled as having been painted by Picasso because it's so different from what he's famously known for. And, you know, I think it's really interesting how, how an artist's work develops over uh, a period of time, stylistically, but also kind of philosophically as well. Um, yeah, indeed. Have you ever heard of Smart History? No. Oh, so it's on the internet. Uh, it's it's wonderful. It's basically sort of art history, and there's two art historians, uh, Stephen and, and Beth, and they'll just take a camera, they go to a museum, and they just take you know they videograph the uh, you know film the artwork, and then they have a conversation about it. Oh, look at this! Check this out. Right. Did you notice this? Give a little bit of the history, and it's wonderful. What is it and called was, again? I'm gonna take notes. Yeah, you got a smart history. So like art okay. history, but smart history. Okay. And, uh, oh, they I see, I see. Wonderful. Yeah. And so, you know, because I had always, and they were just so helpful, just the last one I was watching, and they were talking about um, abstract art. Mm. And abstract art, you know, the, J the J Jackson Pollocks, I just look at that stuff. Right, yeah. like, what the hell? You know, that makes no sense. I mean, you know, it's, um, blah, just calling BS on it. And they're like, no, 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 here's the way to think about it. And they said, you, re you react to what you see, and it's similar to an instrumental piece of music. Mm. You know, there's like, when there's lyrics, there are symbols and you follow the right. symbol, et cetera. And so with artwork, when there's forms, you follow those forms, they're symbols. But here you're just reacting to, to the- The, it, uh, the, the art the, itself, the itself. Yeah. I see, and, I see. And it was so useful. And it's like, oh, okay. And it's sort of, then I said, okay, well, I'm going to give myself permission 
to appreciate it, right? Because before I'd see this stuff and my, my head would be like, that's nonsense, that's craziness. And now it's like, wait, just stop, take it in. What do you see? You know, it's like, oh, those are pretty cool colors. I, I remember, um, I don't know who actually said this, but I think it was like a podcast where the context was they were talking about meditation mm. and one of the speakers was like, I I've tried like the traditional meditation. I've tried like sitting down and just, you know, sitting down with my own thoughts and just emptying out whatever, and just letting it just flow. And he was like, I, it didn't work well for me, but what did work for me was I would go to art galleries and just, and just stare at artworks for hours on end. And that would be my meditation. That would be like the most calming thing for the chaos that's going on in my head. And I actually had a similar experience where I once went to an art gallery and it was just, I went into this room filled with uh, massive, massive paintings of like square paintings on this canvas that's like, that's like so big, so big. It's like the size uh-huh. of like, I don't know, my wall or something. Uh-huh. And it was, there was nothing on that canvas other than like a block of color. It was just a block of color and painted with, I think it's just acrylic or oil or some sort of like special paint, but it did have this kind of like kind of moody kind of flow that was going through, but it was just one block of color which you see from a distance. Uh-huh. But I, and it was just that, just a series of blocks of colors in that whole room on massive canvases. But I had this experience where I was, they had like benches in front of it so that people could just sit there, I guess, look at the, the artworks. And when I looked at those pieces, I was, it was just colors, but I just found myself in a place of like peace. And that was no other, like no other peace that I've ever felt before. And it was, I wouldn't say it was life-changing or anything, but it was, it was, it was a very strong experience. And it's amazing how that stuff can happen. I mean, I've had walked into art galleries and just like, it's almost as though, you know, particular piece will, mm. will resonate. And it's almost like time stops, mm. literally just time stops and you're there and you just, yeah, it's very strange. I've got no idea what's going on. But <laughs> There's no a- way to explain it. It's, it's, it's visceral is the only way to explain it, I guess. It's just, it's just there and you just like it. You don't know why. I mean, it's a block of color. There's no reason you should like it, but it, exactly. you like it, you course, love it. Coming from a background of heavy science and heavy physics, it's like, you know, I was F equals MA, you know, with truth <laughs> and reality and having these, these emotional experiences to art was a very strange <laughs> and, uh, and uh, confusing experience. Now you mentioned meditation and, and uh, I was wondering, you know, you've got overthinking. Do you, do, you, do you meditate? Does that help you with overthinking? I wish I could say that, you know, I, I don't meditate, basically. <laughs> I don't. Have you tried? I've tried, but I don't think, I, I don't think the traditional uh, meditation works for me. If anything, though, I adore walking. I adore walking mm. with just playing whatever uh, that's on my playlist. Um, and I like to think that that is my meditation because it brings me a lot of peace. And, and you know, my daily walks, um, 
that I do for at least an hour every single day is kind of, it's basically my favorite time of the day. And I, I hate exercising. I hate yeah. exercising. So that, that speaks for something, I think. Yeah, there's definitely a walking meditation. In fact, uh, you mm. know, Nietzsche used to do these monster walks. In fact, he, he wrote Thus Spoke Zarathustra in his head while doing these massive oh walks. And then when he actually went to write it, I mean, just this incredible work. And it basically, he had it all in his head. And he just wrote it down in a very short period of time. Mm. Well, I wouldn't be able to memorize a whole book I, I mean, let alone memorize, but he had worked it all out. I think. That's the story. <laughs> I probably have a different brain from Nietzsche. So <laughs> <laughs> everyone had a different brain than Nietzsche. I mean, what, what book was it? Thus spake, thus spake Zarathustra. Oh, wow. Is that English? Italian? Uh, well, German. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. I, it's I an English know. translation, but yeah. Yeah. Pretty fascinating. I liked it a lot. Character. Do you yeah. Do you read a lot of philosophical kind of, do you read into well, a lot of philosophy? Indeed. So, you know, so basically what happened is, uh, you know, I studied physics, but I'm a dropout, right? So I have no degree. Oh, okay. So it, you know, at Microsoft, I'm a technical fellow. I'm Microsoft's highest uh, ranked uh, college dropout. <laughs> nice. I mean. Now that Bill's gone. <laughs> That's my joke. The only difference between Bill Gates and me is about, you know, $30 billion. Oh gosh, very similar. No, I mean, actually, it's even more than that these days. Anyway, um, so yeah, so I've been studying uh, physics, and then uh, you know you, you're supposed to study some other stuff. So I thought, well, I'll, I'll study philosophy, right? The philosophy of physics or philosophy of science, and I uh, went down that rabbit hole, got really into epistemology and ontology. And then when I read Thomas Kuhn, that basically ended my physics career. It was one of these existential crises. So that was Thomas that, Kuhn. Yeah. Structure of scientific revolution. What's uh physics philosophy to begin with? Was that was that is that the right term? Physics philosophy? Or? Well the philosophy of science. Yes, philosophy of science. Is that like different from normal philosophy or uh, no, well, you know, basically some of these, you know, questions about ontology and epistemology, what, what does it mean to be and how do we know what we know, right? So science is about knowing things, right? right. And so for me, you know, um, you know, physics was this like, you know, bastion of truth, right? Mm. I grew up in a very chaotic world, right? Do you think the world's crazy now? I grew up is really crazy, right? So a lot of people don't get this, but like in, in you know, 1969, 1970, America experienced about 4,000 bombings a, a week, or sorry, a year, a year. Oh, yeah, no, oh, it, oh. domestic terrorism, just wow. there are things going on all the time. You know, revolution, you know, presidents uh, getting impeached and then resigning. It was a really crazy time. And, uh, you know, we had the Vietnam War and see all these images of people and neighbors dying in the war. And then as a young kid growing up thinking, oh, boy, if we're over there killing them, well, it's just a matter of time before they come over here and start killing us. Didn't really get this geography and the, the ocean size in focus. But anyways, it was kind of crazy. And so in that world, in that context, physics was this like, you know, sort of safe harbor. F equals MA. World's crazy, but F equals MA. The world's crazy, but science, 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 science. And so for me, it was really this pursuit of truth. Like there was solid ground in science. And then what I understood with, as I understood, is I got into it, epistemology and ontology. What I realized, and it's obvious, 
to most people, but it wasn't to me, was that um, what Feynman described that he said that all models are wrong, but some models are useful. <laughs> and mm -hmm. so for me, it's like, well, wait a second. That was like the analogy of a, of a dog standing on a mirror and looking down. I think it's nothing supporting. It's like, wait, what? What do you mean there's no truth? What do you mean these models are all wrong? They're just useful and they're, they have utilitarian value, but there's no truth behind them. Uh, and so that was very difficult a uh, couple of years. Anyway, so that ended up dropping out and uh, getting into computers. <laughs> <laughs> but that led me into, you know, sort of uh, this, this uh, path into existentialism, mm -hmm. right? So Nietzsche, Kierkegaard, Sartre, you know. Oh, I'm just thinking what that statement actually means. Just going back to that statement, it's like, there's no, there's no truth. Like what even oh, does man, that, that even hurts, mean? Huh? Yeah, so here, I mean like. Just, here, just to give you an example. A lot of people get this wrong, right? But literally, I'm gonna say it and you're gonna say, well, it probably doesn't mean what he means. He's saying, but I'll say it. Okay. Literally, Newton invented gravity. Right. Okay. Okay. That's a simple he didn't statement. Discover okay. gravity. He didn't discover it. He invented gravity. You mean like he invented the concept of gravity? Like he yeah. named it gravity, and there's this thing called gravity. Yeah. Sure. There's gravity. Sure. There's forces that were around. And then the question is, well, how do you describe those forces? And here's how you know that he invented it, that it's an invention. I mean, it's such a fantastic invention. He could literally get a patent on it. I know some people would argue that, well, you can't patent a law of nature, but they're wrong in this regard because it is an invention. How do you know it's an invention? And the answer is it's wrong. Like it's wrong. Like literally Newton is wrong, but he's useful. So concretely, Einstein's equations, Newton's equations were great for all the stuff around you, right? You drop a ball, you build a bridge, you build a, a, an aircraft carrier. Those all, Newton's equations work fine, but they're wrong. They don't work at the very small and they don't work at the very large. So Einstein's equations work much better, but they're more complex. And so we don't use his equations in the in, you know, sort of mechanical and world of mechanical engineering. We use Newton's, okay? But they're wrong. He literally invented them. He's like, oh, there's this thing, but if you have F equals MA, that, that works, that seems like a pretty good, that works pretty well. So he's wrong in the sense that it's not applicable in all areas of whatever. It's not, it's not a universal righteousness. It's, you know, it's you useful. Apply it for different things to build bridges, like you said, yep. but it's yeah. not universally. Okay. 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 I think I see what you mean, but gravity isn't wrong. Grav I mean, okay, this is really this difficult. This is phenomenon that happens. <laughs> Balls drop, planets. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he named it gravity. So it is technically an invention. Yeah. Did he name it gravity? Is it like, who invented that's the word gravity? A, that's a great question. I don't know the answer to that. Hmm. I mean, we call it Jungyeok in Korea. I didn't come up with that one. <laughs> <laughs> so you... Um, physics that was done and then computers what what was the trans transition from that uh like well so again it's sort of a couple oh. years of difficult <laughs> I just saw like a... <laughs> is... it was a few difficult years of like trying to figure things out etc and so then i um 
you know, uh, basically at some point I just moved to Colorado, uh, moved in with a friend and got a job at a manufacturing plant. And in this manufacturing plant, we were doing disk drives and uh, they had, uh, they were computerizing the manufacturing uh, uh, factory floor. Right. And it was a disaster. And they said, hey, can you help with this? And I said, sure, why not? And I just like threw myself into it and I had a blast. I learned computers and so I was having wow. fun. And at the end of the day, you know, what I had ended, when I kind of had this existential crisis with physics and went into existentialism, existentialism basically says, you know, um, what you have, which, this is it, right? When you, when you die, that's, there's nothing afterwards. Mm. And therefore, and in this time, there's no truth and there's no meaning um, and so that's all kind of depressing and, and nihilistic, but on the other hand, it's, it's freeing, right? What it says is you have a responsibility and the freedom and the power to decide what you're going to do with your time, right? You, Cause you have some time and you have some agency. What are you going to do with your time? And as I thought about that, like, oh my heavens, what am I going to do with my time? What I realized was, well, I, I want to make the world different because I walk through it that I want to invent some things. I want to make the world a better place. Um, and so I got into computers because that's where a lot of- Where it's at. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A lot of interesting <laughs> things were happening. And I have to say, you know, eventually, again, a lot of people, I don't know if any of your people, audience will know who I am, but I you know, found a job at Microsoft. Uh, I was recruited by Microsoft and I invented this thing called Windows well, PowerShell. And the cool thing about that is there are so many people that has helped them create their careers, right? The number of people, like literally, it's an odd, oddly specific thing, but there's this huge number of people have come and told me that they have tripled their salary having learned this technology. And, you know, sometimes Amazing. it's one, two times, but the number of times that people have said they've tripled their salary is huge. Um, anyway, so, you know, I feel pretty good about that. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. I was... I try to do my studies prior to our chat, what PowerShell actually is. And I, you know, I read articles, I read like, I read the Wikipedia, I read, the, <laughs> I try to, to do my studies. Um, I do remember this one term, CMD. Oh my gosh, CMD. God. You got it. A CMD, it was CMD something, CMD lit? CMD let CMD let it was CMD let command let's command let uh that was that's the only thing I, and I know that that's the that's a command I'm not even gonna try to sound smart it's <laughs> a command it's a line interface yeah. yes yeah and so that narrative here was that you know basically I went to Microsoft at a time where they were like ruling the world because they did GUIs better than anybody, you know, graphical user interfaces. Uh, and basically it was a world where, you know, it was so successful, you know, the, the United States said, you're, you're so successful, you're a monopoly. Uh, okay, so is that successful? And basically they had gotten into a world where they said, for any given problem, if we can make this about the GUI, we win. So I don't know what your problem is, but I know the solution is a GUI, okay? that's how it worked and and they were they were taking over the world because of that model anyway so i came in and i said yeah uh we got to stop using the gui what's a and gui a graphical user interface you know what's the windows and the buttons uh, and click, all click, right click. okay 
okay. as opposed to command.exe or PowerShell, you bring up a window and then you just type. Right. Okay. So just kind of what we use today, basically just well, convenient. Like, well, yeah. Like, um, um, most people are using GUIs today, but here was the thing like for servers, right? The thing like the cloud that runs the cloud, that's all servers. Right. And like a thing about a GUI is great when you need to manage this machine, like great, you know, click, 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 happy days. But then when you got to manage that one over there, like what do you do? And the answer is, well, you had to run over there and click, 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 or you had to do remote into it. What I saw was I saw different than everybody else was that, hey, we were going to succeed in the server marketplace. And the server marketplace, it wasn't about managing a machine or 10 machines, it was gonna be about managing 1,000, 10,000, 100,000, a million machines. How do you manage a million machines? And going to each one and saying, click, 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 isn't gonna work. They had to automate it, mm. and automated it, you needed something different. Um, this was not uh, uh, well-received. <laughs> in, in that they didn't think it was possible? No, they're like, which part of, effing windows is confusing you, Jeffrey. I mean, I literally had an right. executive tell me that. It's like, which part of effing windows is confusing you? Like, oh my God. Um, anyways, so just sort of a trail of tears to try and pursue this project. But I was on to it. I developed this technology. I got really excited about it. And I said, hey, we got to go do this. And they're like, yeah, we're demoting you. <laughs> and so I got demoted, but I got funded you know, just a few people. And so we were working wow. on this project. Um, but I knew it was important. And they're like, eh, it's not important. What are you doing? You're wasting your time. And uh, then they just made my life hell for oh years. Oh my gosh. Years and years and years. It was just pure hell. And uh, you made it in the end. I succeeded. Yeah. And then it took me five years, but I got my promotion promoted back, back to where I started. <laughs> But here's the thing that was really amazing as part of that, right? And so then by the time we got it out and uh, then the marketplace reacted and it was a very strong, positive reaction. Mm. Then all of a sudden everything changed for me. I got my promotion back. I became a distinguished engineer over time, chief architect for all of Windows Server and all of our management products. You know, we've only had three of those at the company, right? So that's one of those things, you know, I like to joke. I say, that's what you put on the front of your tombstone, on the back, you know, chief architect of Windows Server. On the back, you put loving father and husband, you know, whatever. <laughs> but on the front, the front, Chief Architect of Windows Server. That's a big deal. Okay. I mean, it's, it's, it's a life accomplishment. And I think, I just want to ask, and this may be a bit of a philosophical question, but, you know, in that period when everybody was saying, you know, like, what's effing wrong with, with a GUI? What's effing wrong with, you know? What's wrong, what's wrong with you, Jeffrey? <laughs> well, it's, you know, I'm sure they were trying to persuade you into thinking that what we already have is, you know, already plenty and it's, convenient enough for the people and for all of us you know and I just was wondering you know what was going through in your head at that time when you know you had no one but yourself to you know get through this and and believe in and you know <clears throat> is there any kind of like just you know a trail of thought where you were you know maybe I could just kind of like maybe this is just a little passing thought and I could just let it drop shelf it or whatever you know what yeah. was that thing that you know pushed you forward and you know what i'm gonna i don't care if i get demoted i don't care 
I'm just going to push this forward. I'm just going to push well, it through. So basically I'd had these ideas and then I tried to convince some people of it and they didn't mm -hmm. get it and they didn't get it and they get it. And I said, you know what, just go away. I'll, I'll, I'll write it myself. And so I sat down and sort of like locked myself in my office for you know four weeks and I produced this like 10,000 line uh, prototype that had all the core concepts. And then I said, well, come here, let me show you what I'm trying to explain to you. And then I showed them it and they're like, oh my God, this is very cool. Mm. They loved it. Um, and so at that point, having done that work, I realized the power of these ideas and that this was something fundamentally different than anything that ever the industry had ever seen. And I was just in. And so at the end, you know, I thought, well, look, you know, water finds its level. If you say I'm this level, then fine, I'm that level. If I'm supposed to be at a higher level, water will find its level. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll go back up. Um, but right now, what I just said was, unless you're going to fire me, I'm just going to keep working on this. And I'm just going to say to myself, Amazing. hey, I'm like working at a startup company where I don't have to worry about my paycheck because Microsoft's doing it to me, paying it for me. And when I'm successful, when I get it developed, I'm going to be able to use Microsoft, right? I'm going to use Microsoft uh, and use get them to take my technology and ship it on a couple hundred Brilliant. million machines. You know, mm -hmm. if I was in a startup company, if I shipped it on a million machines, I'd be successful. But here I've shipped it on hundreds of millions of machines. I mean, that's, that's, you know, that the, distribu just, the distribution that effect is world, you just, you know, the magnitude of it. Yeah. It's amazing. Maybe. It's almost like you convinced yourself by, you know, locking yourself into that office for four weeks on end to just work on it alone. It's almost like you convinced yourself that it makes sense and it's going to work. Exactly. It's amazing. The interesting thing was um, that there were years, I mean, literally years where people were trying to get us canceled, trying to kill the project, made our life miserable. I mean, just hard to overstate how terrible it was, really was. Um, but um, afterwards, things are on the upswing going Do they great. Just kind of there's some executive meeting, you know, yeah. offsite, and I go, and there's this executive there, and he says, oh, Jeffrey, you know, things have really changed for you. <laughs> I said, yeah, they have. He says, you were a pariah for years. I said, yeah, I was. He says, but we were rooting for you. I said, really? I never knew no, that. No, you weren't. I never knew it. And you know what? That was really helpful because those terrible years have made me a better person, right? Because now when I see somebody going through a rough time, I'm able to see that. And I go, I tell them I'm rooting for you. Mm -hmm. You know, I reach out to them. I try and help them uh, because I've been there, man. So uh, anyway, so I Moral feel like- Moral support is so underrated. Person. It's, it's so underrated, moral support. It's, it, really, it really could change somebody's life. It could change somebody's career just by giving them some mental support that you just believe in them, even if you don't. Like, I think it's, you know. Even if you don't, I like that part. <laughs> even if you think it's a bit of a, you know, I don't know, I'm not sure about it. Just because I think your experience speaks for something that there is no right or wrong. There is no, you know, I think I always tell myself, take everything with a grain of salt because nobody knows what the frick they're doing. Nobody knows what's wrong. Like if they, if there was one universal answer to everything, you know, there will be no struggle there. You know, if there will be no struggle, if there were people who knew what they were doing is right or wrong, that's my yeah. point of view. So yeah. 
if you believe in something and if you want to pursue something very strongly that a lot of people, the majority of the people that are, are, that are around you are disagreeing with, what's the, you know, you know, what's, what's, what's the proof that that's, that they're wrong, that they're right. You know, that you, know you said something, uh, I thought it was a joke, but it, it's actually quite profound now that I think about it. You said, you know, even if, even if I don't or something like that, but what I, what I took from that was, look, somebody's trying to do something and they might be right or they might be wrong. Like, and I might not know which it is, mm. but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. What I care about is the person. Yes. I care about you and I care about you and I want you to succeed and I want you to be happy and I want you to be successful. And I want you to know you're going through some tough times and I'm thinking about you. I'm rooting for you. And that's the key that I, I, you know, if there was a friend of mine or a family member of mine who is one, who was wanting to do something really strongly that I'm not really sure if they're doing right, if that's a good idea, it's my opinion. I don't know. I, I don't know if like, I don't, I'm not sure about it, but I might be wrong, you know? And I think so many times when people disagree with somebody's uh, vision, they're so sure that they're right about their opinion of that person's decision to go with it, that they would do anything to persuade them to get out of it. But yeah. it's actually, the reality is that nobody knows I might be wrong in thinking that I'm not sure about, you know, that being a good idea. You know, I'm just a human. We're all just humans. And so at the end of the day, I think the most right opinion is my opinion. And I'm not saying that in an egotistical, selfish way. But if I believe in something with the right reason, then I think that's the, that's the way to go, you know? And I think you're one of those people who show through action, it seems. It's kind of, it makes me a bit frustrated that those people who were like, oh, just, that's, we're going to shut you down have just kind of, kind of turned around and said, you know, I always believed in you when things were, <laughs> you know, things have worked out. How did, did you like, did you get like, was it like bittersweet where you're like, no, you weren't? Or was it like, no, I, I believed him, but he had been silent. He didn't, he didn't like, wasn't there when I needed it. Like I didn't need that, that affirmation after I'd been successful and I got promoted. Mm. I needed it when I was in the, in the, in the gutter. <laughs> I was needed it when somebody was kicking me in the head saying, this is the stupidest effing idea you'd ever heard. Wait, wait, that's what about a the people quote. who were like famous Bill Gates quote, Bill, infamous quote. It's a famous Bill Gates quote. Whenever you review things with Bill, he always says, you know, that's the stupidest effing idea I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> does he actually say effing or does he actually say the F word? Oh, oh no. He swears like a sailor. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. His public persona is, am I mute? No, 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 no. You're fine. Okay. Um, yeah, no, he swears like a sailor. He's hilarious. <laughs> That's great. It just adds a bit of humanity to it. Just kind of human taste, yeah. human flavor. He must beat me so badly. He was so terrible. He was just like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> we're doing no. a review. And um, like, oh, we were doing three parts of the review. These guys, they're going to get beat up because he didn't, they didn't do what he told them to do. These guys are going to get beat up because, and, and no, 
they're like, oh, this is great. And I'm like, what? Oh, no, this is great. It's like, what? What's going on here? Why are you feeling such a good mood? And then it's my turn. And I'm presenting somebody else's work, but I knew I knew it and I thought it was important. And so mm. presented to him. And he looked at the slide deck and it's as though a bad Mexican meal hit the lower end of his digestive tract, just like. And within minutes, min- minutes, he is like swearing. Oh, wow. You effed them. You effed them. Like, what? You effed those people. And not saying F, but, and literally, spit is flying across the conference room table and landing on my glasses as he effed them. It's like, and then this other executive's on the other side of the table, like, no, Jeffrey didn't F those people. I F those people. It's like, what is going on here? Anyway, he then proceeded to beat me up and down that conference room for like 60 minutes. It was so bad, but here's the thing. He was wrong. And I felt it was my responsibility to explain that to him and hold my ground. And so I did, but people were like, man, you were like a weeble. He'd knock you down. You just kept coming back up. It's like, we were looking for a towel we could throw in. Oh, it was terrible. And afterwards, like I, I got out of that and I like, I would cry or sort of race to the men's room. Cause I thought I was going to puke. I, was like, I would cry. It was, it was pretty tough. It was a tough place. It's so much nicer. Now new boss, Sacha, unbelievable. He's just, he's just a, a leader for our times. Right. And that sort of sounds crazy, but it's so true. I'll just say it. Everything he does, everything he does starts with humanity right? Uh, mm. Literally, humanity. He says, you know, we, you know, as individuals, and as a company, we are here to serve our society and our fellow man. And we are here to find profitable solutions to the world's problems. So, and, and like, and, and it's not like a PR thing, right? Like you think, oh, well, yeah, the PR people say, oh, say this. Da, da. No, no, no. He really means it. When we have executive meetings and the doors close, he doubles down on this. He's even more hardcore. I mean, just, you know, I'll, I'll give you, I'll share one. He said, listen, this was just recently happened. He says, if the, you know, there was something about uh, Microsoft got to be a trillion dollar market capitalization, right? And he says, I hope none of you are, are celebrating that. That's nothing to celebrate. That's about us. You celebrate when the customers succeed, not when we succeed. He says, if the tech story of the next decade is about Microsoft, every one of you in this room has failed. The tech story of the next decade has to be about our customers, and it's your job to make them succeed, to make them you know, make this transition and to become wildly successful. I was like, wow. Anyway, so it's That's a completely great. different company and nicer. That's great. Yeah. It kind of, it kind of actually brings uh brings it back to something that i actually wanted to touch upon that you briefly mentioned previously um and i think it was kind of about along the lines of uh i think we were just talking about like the existential thing and and then you know it could be nihilistic but also in a a freeing way and so what are we going to do with the time that we have in our hands and so you said it's I'm going to spend this time to change people's lives and, and add to their lives and help people live better. Um, and it certainly seems to be in alignment with what the company uh, Microsoft is like today, which is great. Yeah. Um, and I kind of, I, I could really, really relate to that um, in a different, in a different way because I'm, 
I'm an artist and I'm not a tech person. I don't think I'll be able to develop and create and invent a software like PowerShell. Uh, oh, but you're changing the world. I'll tell you, you know, you had that song, uh, I'll Just Dance. And I don't know what the hell it was, but I came across <laughs> that song and it's just like, it was the song for the moment. And I just like, yeah, like in there. Like, yeah, I'm sad. I, I'm Thank sad you. too. Like I've been stuck in this room forever. <laughs> this COVID-19, you know, nonsense. And then feel a little sad and I'm just going to dance. And uh, no, it really resonated. You know, your work. I, it's, well, I really enjoy your work. And why do I enjoy your work? Because uh, you're just out there. You know, you're just like, you're out there. You're putting yourself on the line. Uh, you can just see it's, it's you, right? Human out there putting their work out there seeing uh how it resonates um and just very authentic and uh so i, I think it's Thank fantastic that's yeah, why i'm such a fan i think that that goes to say that we can all change uh, we can all change the world and make impact in in very very various different ways um i like to think of myself as my work as a way to, it goes back to the moral support thing where I want to give moral support for, for the people who listen to my music and my videos. Um, I probably won't be able to change their lives and improve their lives in terms of the technical areas where, you know, they could actually utilize this software or this piece of tech to build up their business or, you know, make their business more efficient. But I could kind of turn around and give them moral support that it's okay to be sad at times by showing that I'm sad at times. It's okay to be vulnerable at times by showing that I'm vulnerable at times. Um, and I think that really helps because I, I've been in a position where I want to, you know, I've been in my room and I just feel like crap. I feel like shit basically. And it's you don't see that you don't see that on the internet a lot at least you don't see pe you see people even if they're not like on a fancy vacation or like smiling in their perfect bodies and faces you see good things you see a lot of the fun things and people seem to be having fun in their homes all the time people seem to be enjoying themselves with their ample group of friends people seem to have lots of friends and have an exciting you know like with the, the thing with vlog channels and vlog um vlog contents is that even the vlogs can really distort people's view on what normal you know mundane normal life is because vlogs are still content and people are probably you know they're shooting their daily lives and i think a lot of the vlogs that we see it's like they say it's daily and it's daily content, but it's like, oh my gosh, everybody's having so much fun. They're like hanging out <laughs> with friends. They're like just having so much fun. And I look into my life and it's like, I'm just waking up and going to bed every day. It's just, that's it. I don't know what's happening in between. And you don't see that. You don't see a vlog where, actually this is a vlog idea now, but you don't see a vlog where people are waking up and just sitting there looking at their computers or something and then going to bed. Cause that's what I do. That's what I do daily. You don't see vlogs like that. So we once had one of these executive retreats and the marketing guys had this 
promo, you know, video that they were showing. And it's all these Olympic athletes doing these amazing things in slow motion and this inspiring <laughs> music. And just like, oh my God, just like the world's best doing the most amazing things. And I'm thinking, you know, it'd be inspiring have a video of somebody like waking up, like not wanting to get out of the bed. Oh yeah. But they get out of the bed anyway. Oh, like yeah. I did it. Mm. I got out of the bed today. <laughs> you know? It's a, it's a struggle. I mean, like it's, people have it harder, but it's a struggle to wake up. And that's a fact, you know, it's like, you can't, it's, it's difficult to wake up from bed. <laughs> and that's the mundane troubles of life, you know, yeah. that everybody goes through, but don't see happening on YouTube or, or the vlogs, but it right. happens to everybody. Right. Especially, or the mask it behind like overproduction, you know, mm -hmm. like you have some genuine emotion or whatever, but then when you have so many filters and so many cuts and so many like, uh, and it's so polished, it's like, and your stuff has just this wonderful authenticity to it. Thank you. I mean, it really, do you read that I, song? I think it was, I'm not sure who did it, but uh, Jimmy Buffett has a cover and maybe he wrote it, but about Elvis Presley. And so it was this wonderful thing. I was thinking about Elvis the day that he died. And at some point he says, you know, just a country boy put on his shirt his mama made and he went on the air and he belted it. And it's just this authenticity, you know, Elvis, country boy, his mom makes a shirt, he puts it on, goes on TV, and it's just this authentic person that changed the world. And I love that song. People love it. People love, I think it, it really touches upon our kind of primitive need and primitive uh, instinct to want to be connected with others, not just with celebrities and public figures, but just as human versus human. I think we just want to feel connected and want to know that we're all just the same humans. And that's, that really lies in the base of everything that we see. Um, and that's hence the reason why some people are so depressed from seeing all these vlogs and, you know, Instagram posts, because, because we want to feel connected and we do connect with these contents. It's just that they're distorted from what actually happens, but we just don't realize it. So we connect to these contents thinking that that's the norm. That's the norm. That's the normal thing. Um, and we see what's happening in our lives and it's different. And you we know, don't, I have this, this am regular, I not normal? I know. I have this regular talk series at conferences um, where I do PowerShell Unplugged. And I'll just get in front of a keyboard and I'll start showing oh, some nice. things. Oh, look, you can do this and you can do this. And I make mistakes all over the place. Like, what the hell? What am I doing? What? what? And I, I leave them in there. Right? I go out of my way to not clean that stuff up and be perfect. And I was like, look, I want to be super clear here, right? So, you know, I invented this language. You know, I've been in the industry 40 years. I'm one of the top 10 technical people at Microsoft, and I make mistakes all the time. So when you go home and you sit in front of the keyboard and you start typing and you make mistakes, don't beat yourself up. Don't be sitting there saying, oh, I can't do it. You know, uh, Jeffrey did it perfectly. I can't yes. do it. Like, that's not the real world. The real world is, it's a struggle. <laughs> like, I can't remember syntax. I can't, I got poor working memory, but it all works. You know, you just work exactly through it. That. That's amazing. That's great. I love that. So yeah. good. So good. I think more people need to know. I think more people need to know that we're all 
all, all, all imperfect and we all make mistakes. Yeah, I exactly. make too many mistakes, to be honest, but that's well, a different conversation. Right? <laughs> you know, sometimes the mistakes are the things that uh, inspire the, oh, wait, why did that happen? Mm. You know, it leads to deep, deeper insight uh, and inspiration. For sure. And this you know, is a little... Inspiration is a very strange thing, isn't it? It's like, a, where do, it, where do you don't know where you're going to get it. There's no like, it's, you're in the blind when it comes to inspiration because you don't know where it's going to pop. Where uh -huh. you don't know where it's going to pop up. So, you know, always keep an open mind and keep your eyes open because it mean, it could also mean that you could get a massive, massive inspiration from a massive, massive mistake that you've made, I think. Right. And as you say, uh, there's a lot of things about sort of cross domain thinking. Like, you know, some, the other day I was, you know, I mentioned to you smart history. And so I was watching something on smart history and I saw this picture and I was looking at that picture and I realized, Hey, wait a second, that relates to Microsoft strategy. Like there's some deep, you know, strategic insight here that um, was inspired oh, yeah. by the thought process of the, of the picture. It's, oh, that's so interesting how you, it's like there's this kind of weird parallel between like art and tech, which is like, which seems like a completely opposite area where you don't expect to see any correlation between the two. But well, in my, my mind, I just sort of, yeah, I'm not seemingly sure. Can, at least. Yeah. Well, I believe that, uh, that truth is geometric which is to say that it has shape, it has form, and there are patterns, and that these shapes and forms and patterns are independent of the domain, right? Whether they're in physics or their art or their logic, that there's, there's a, a shape to truth, if you will. Mm. Well, I, I should sit down and formulate that better, but there definitely is a, a shape to truth. Wow. In fact, there's a, actually should, yeah. Maybe that's where it is. Turns out that you know, you know about the three levels of the brain, the reptilian brainstem, yes. the midbrain. Yes. Yeah. So like at that reptilian brainstem, and there's a recent book that came out and she basically said that the foundation of thought, the foundation of all thought is spatial reasoning, right? It's reasoning over space. And that this is done at the core uh, base of the brain. And that all the symbolic processing, et cetera, is all just layers on top of spatial reasoning. Oh, man, that's deep. Oh, yeah, there's some good stuff there. <laughs> that's deep. Because if you think about it, right, somebody throws you a ball and you just like catch it, right? Like if you think that is a freaking miracle, freaking miracle, but even a dog can do it. So what are you saying? Because if you, if you ever took diff EQ, right, differential equations, it's like, wait, so a ball and you, oh, the equation for that, that's crazy. But you don't. You just see the ball and you put your hand here and then it lands. And it's because we've got all this spatial processing in our brains. <laughs> yeah, no, wow. people are fascinating. It is. I wonder if we ever, okay, so this is now like getting into even a more deeper topic. I don't know how we're going to get out of this deepness, but eventually, All in, man. but All in. I wonder if, cause I, I don't think we 
like there's no you know like we said there's no truth there's no everything's just a concept and we don't know what's truth i think you know life is just about finding ways to get the closest to the truth but i don't know if we don't know if there's a truth we don't know if there's a universal truth nobody knows and i i wonder if there's some sort of like resolved result that we actually get to find out when we die you know and that's kind of like you know like oh is this that that's the whole big question of like is it complete darkness we don't like it it's done or is there something more do we actually get to find out what comes after i actually um and i'm sure he believes the latter but there was a youtuber that i was watching and he said something like, oh, I wish, you know, I wish when I, I wish when I die, they'd better be like a library. And I go to a library after I die and it's a library of just the truths. So it's like, I open this book in this field. It's like, oh shit, I can't believe I didn't know that when I was alive. Oh, I love that thought. Well, actually, so did you, when you were looking things up, did you, did you actually uh, look up what Monad? So PowerShell was based that that that's what the product name the project name was called monad and so here's the 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 idea did you look at that at all uh i i think i recall reading that it was previously called monad and yeah, then yeah so here's what that is it's basically from philosophy so there's two worldviews right one worldview says the world is made up of dead stuff right protons neutrons and electrons put them together you get an atom put them together you get a molecule put them together you get da 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 at sufficient somewhere along that line of complexity you'll get life and then life has sufficiently aggregated you know complexity and at a certain point in that uh, complexity chain you get consciousness but that fundamentally everything is built on dead matter okay so there's another worldview and the other worldview is more Eastern and, and Leibniz, right? And what he said was, well, no, no, no. The fundamental building block of the universe is consciousness. And that sometimes right. consciousness decides to manifest itself as matter. Mm. And that the matter sometimes decides to aggregate with other matter to form in a, a union to affect some purpose at higher levels of, of being. So basically, you know, one says everything's dead. No one says everything's consciousness mm. that forms in a matter. Anyway, so Leibniz called those fundamental building blocks of the universe monads. Uh, and that's uh. where PowerShell came because in PowerShell, it's all about composition, right? You have, you know, A, pipe to B, pipe to C. You compose things to solve a problem. And then when the problem's solved, you don't use that combination anymore. But I love that idea of like, consciousness is the the foundation of the universe now have you heard of of um hoffman donald hoffman oh my heavens so this guy believes that literally everything you see and perceive is 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 false <laughs> that evolutionarily um it is only you you're you've been you're a mechanism an organism which is been evolved over many millennial uh, millennia to basically um, uh, thrive and reproduce. And that if something helps that function, it stays. And if something doesn't help that, it goes away. It goes away. Right. right? And so literally um, he's, he analogizes this to like everything, like what you see, like, you know, so for instance, we know when we see something, well, 
physics tells us that largely it's empty matter, right? Because a proton, it looks like a solid uh, a desk. Just vibrating fact, energy, basically just atoms vibrating. But what he's saying is, no, no, no. Like even the desk being there is like a falsehood. Right now, there's real world ramifications, but it's falsehood. And okay. basically, he says it's like your 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 monitor, right? Right. You have a file on your monitor, and if you drag that file to the to the trash bin, mm -hmm. it gets deleted. Mm. But there really is no file. The reality of the situation is that somewhere in the system, there are these elect there are these um, magnets that get, uh, uh, you know, sorry, media that gets magnetized into a one or a zero. And that when you did that action, a bunch of those things got changed from one state to another state. But if you couldn't possibly operate at that level, because if you did, nothing would make any sense. Mm. So in the same way, you build up these fictions that are then actionable and useful to get things done, because you couldn't possibly deal with the reality that's truly there. And he basically says the same thing's happening with the world, that you, all this stuff is this fiction, just like the fiction of a file dragged into a, a trash bin on your, on your desk. It's this fiction to hide the complexity of the reality from you. It's a matrix. Wow. It's the, right. yeah. I mean, I don't, you know, I, I, you never know. You don't know. Nobody knows. Nobody knows oh, wait, unless thought, you're the... I thought, I thought as an overthinker, you'd love that one. I love that one. I love that one. That's the one thing that, you know, probably going to come up every single episode. It's just like, you don't know. You don't know if you're in a program. And that's like something that a lot of people talk about nowadays. Like, are we in a system? Are we in a program? Are we just a, just the yeah. ones and the zeros? What do you think? I actually... I don't indulge myself in thinking about that area because it just creeps me out too much. Like if I ever let myself like get into that spiral, oh man, I could go deep. I could probably just end up like just lying around, not doing anything. That's why I try not to. <laughs> Cause it's like, that's like a whole new level of, of existential crisis. It's like, Hmm. Like I, I feel like I would, I would, I would start to feel stuck. Like I would start to feel like, oh man, this is like, I don't know if I, like, I don't want to do anything now. Kind of. If I start to indulge in that thought, I don't think you know, I. The hmm. yogis have this nice uh, phrase. They say, find what serves you, embrace what serves you and drop what doesn't. So the question is, hey, for any thought, any philosophy, any concept, et cetera, does that serve you? Does it provide you energy? Does it inspire mm. you? Does it make you want to get up and get motivated and do things? Or does it not serve you, right? Does it feed the mean little bastards in your head that say you're not worthy or you're it's, yeah, like those things, just drop them. You know, I, you know, so it's, it's either like you ask yourself one question, is it bad or is it good? Do you feel bad about it? Do you feel good about it? If you feel bad about it, don't do it. If you feel good about it, do it. But I think the problem for me about that with that way of viewing things is that there's this, there's this whole thing called like animal brain. And so mm -hmm. like the animal brain wants, like it's, it's got its own instinct and those instincts in a human body, a lot of times it's not really good. So like if you see a hamburger, the animal body says, eat it. 
but you know, like in the long run, that hamburger is not going to do you good and uh-huh. for your health. So it's like, there's that extra layer of like, okay, so there's this, you know, there's this instant gratitude, uh, gratification where if you eat this chocolate chip cookie, it's going to make you feel good. It's going to be good. It's going to feel good. But in the long run, is it going to be actually good? So it's kind of like that. It's like that, that short-term gratification versus long-term gratification that just acts adds a, adds an extra layer of, of question for me most of the time. See, that's why I like the framing that the yogis have. And that is, does it serve you? Right. Okay. So there's a differentiation. Good? There's a difference between good. Like, yeah. okay. It's right. Like, oh okay. yeah, no, it feels good. I'm eating this cookie. Mm. But did that really serve me? Like, right. oh, I'm fat and I got high blood pressure. That didn't really serve me. I so see. Figure out the things that serve you. Oh, okay. That's like, okay. 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 I feel it. Okay. Yeah. Mm. You know, the thing is, there's so much, so many cool thoughts out there, right? Whether it's the Stoics, I've recently been re-reading some of the Stoics and they've got some wonderful thoughts there and the yogis and the existentialists and, you know, sort of like, you know, grab a few of those thoughts and feather your nest with them. And at the right time, you know, put your head down here, put your head down with the existentialists. Oh, let's go over here and play with the, the Stoics for a while. Dip in a bit. Yeah. They serve you. These well, thoughts serve you. Actually, I think this is a way to nicely wrap up this conversation. Um, do you have any, cause you seem to know loads about like arts, the arts and philosophy and, you know, the yogis, um, and do you have any recommendations as to like any movies or books or any type of medium that you think you're really passionate about and could, you know, provide some really interesting kind of point of views for the people we're watching? Yeah, geez, you know, everything, you know, I'd say that uh, th- those things are always difficult because here's the reality. Um, somebody could have told me about art and how important art was, mm. blah, blah, blah. And, you know, people did. I had friends that were artists, but I just never got it. I never got it until I got it, right? So this is words of wisdom don't mean shit until you're ready to hear them. And so the question is, and then often people need to hear things the way they need to hear them in order to hear the message. So it was really kind of hard to like blast it out there. But I would just say, you know, sort of be open to it. Like be open, be open, you know, go explore, be open to being inspired, say yes to more things. Um, and then things, things, will, uh, things will occur. Be open-minded. Yeah. yeah. Take, be now, open-minded, take it with a grain of salt, but be open-minded. Yeah, I will say I, I'm really enjoying smart history. Smart history. Uh, just, right. Yeah, okay. I met Stephen and Beth when I was in New York. I just thought, oh, you know, so Twitter, isn't it amazing? Um, the connections you can make on Twitter, right? I think we connected on Twitter. I mean, yeah, we're connected through, we were connected through Twitter. Yeah, I've just met all these amazing people on Twitter. Anyway, so uh, I've been watching the smart history and then I was going to have a business trip in New York and I thought, oh, uh, Beth and Steve, I'm going to be in New York. You know, can I buy you a cup of coffee? And we had a cup of coffee and we had this wonderful afternoon together and they took me to a museum and they were showing me these things. And so it was just, it was just wonderful. Smart history live. 
Yeah, exactly. Well, indeed. And so it was, was so wonderful is these two people with their passion for the art, just like it just drips, you know, so you're getting content, but you're getting the passion and you see it through their eyes, like why this is so exciting. Um, and so that's, that's, that I think is, I'm going to check them out. Definitely. For sure. Everybody should check it out. Just see if, you know, see if it, if it just, if it, are they just kind of art, just traditional kind of like paintings? Usually oh, they're, they're all over. So they're oh. like one of the most uh, 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 popular uh, websites on the Khan Academy. Their numbers are incredible. They, they uh, have so much viewership, but yeah, they do art, you know, sculpture, uh, architecture. Nice. Do they, do you watch them on YouTube? Yeah. Okay. Got it. Got it. Okay. Um, Jeffrey, it was, it was so much fun. Uh, I think I have a, bit of an existential crisis now but in a good way like it, it's been, it's so much fun thank you so much for talking with me today i had this a blast a uh, meeting you this i i didn't know what to expect i just saw it's you just know, chill fun yeah of your, of your channel uh i thought wow this is a a fun overthinker just like myself <laughs> fun overthinker gang <laughs> thank you jeffrey so much thank you um but stay in touch. Stay in touch for sure. Okay. Sounds great. Thank you. Uh, I'll hang up now. <laughs> okay. Bye. Cheers.